0: You're listening to the Earthy Bee Podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Kimber. Today, I'm talking to Diane Bailey, the Executive Director at Menlo Spark. Menlo Spark is a nonprofit working to make Menlo Park, California, become climate neutral by 2025. Diane, if you could tell us a little bit about what carbon neutral cities and communities are and a little bit about what Menlo Spark does.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, So, cities around the world are really taking leadership on climate, and uh, we're hearing a lot of great progress from groups like C40 and the Carbon Neutral Cities Alliance. These are progressive cities that are working to uh, reach zero carbon across their city. So, all emissions coming from transportation, energy, waste, all the different carbon sources within their city, not just government sources, but the people that live there and the businesses. And uh, a group of about 20 cities are working together in the Carbon Neutral Cities Alliance, but a lot of other cities outside that alliance are starting to take notice and adopt goals to become carbon neutral also. So Menlo Spark started in 2015, we're at the halfway mark, and we are focused in Menlo Park, California, And our goal is to take Menlo Park, the city of Menlo Park, to be carbon neutral by 2025. It was a 10-year goal to zero out the city's carbon emissions. And um, since we started, we've broadened and and begun working with other cities to help them become carbon neutral as well.
0: Wow, great. Can you tell us a little bit, uh, what about the other cities um, that you're working with?
1: Yeah, well, it's really exciting. This year we launched a campaign called Fossil Free Buildings in Silicon Valley. And we're working with all cities from San Jose on up to Daly City. So um, the Santa Clara and San Mateo County area, also known as Silicon Valley. Uh, We're working with all those cities to adopt policies that get new homes and buildings off of fossil fuels, namely natural gas. Um, We're looking at new construction. But we're working with all the cities to advance these policies to move homes and buildings off of gas, and once they adopt policies that look at new construction, we'll be working with those cities on existing homes and buildings to try to get the gas and the fossil fuels out.
0: Great. Can you explain that about the natural gas? Um, I think there's sometimes misunderstandings about natural gas. Uh, it has the word natural
1: in it. Yeah. It's a great um, and so,
0: <laughs> Yeah. If you could explain a little bit about the problem with that.
1: It's a great question. I have so many green-leaning friends who say, what? Natural gas is bad, but it's natural. Um, yeah. <laughs> so the name is a little misleading. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, the thing about natural gas is that it's not natural at all. It's actually a fossil fuel, and most of it comes from fracking. So the technical term is hydraulic fracturing. But um, most people as fracking and understand that there are all these community impacts coming from fracking, that uh, contaminating water wells, causing earthquakes, creating um, health impacts, and um, really uh, reducing the quality of life in communities that have fracking wells. Here in California, most of our gas does come from fracking. We import most of our gas, and we have a lot of gas development here in California as well that is really close to homes and schools and really putting those people at risk with their health and uh, creating air pollution and, um, you know, really not representing the clean energy economy of California that we want. Natural gas also can create some safety hazards. Um, there are pipeline leaks and explosions every day. They're not usually reported on in mainstream media, but we all can recall some um, major explosions like the San Bruno pipeline explosion. Uh, it killed a few dozen people and wiped out a whole subdivision. And mm-hmm. um, as the the pipeline infrastructure ages, we're really at risk of more of these accidents every day. Um, And so there's a health and safety component to use of natural gas as well. And then as we begin to understand more and more about um, natural gas being a fossil fuel and the the climate impacts of gas, um, it's coming out that the climate impacts of gas really rival coal when you look at the life cycle of the fuel and all of the leaking of the gas throughout the distribution. Um, Natural gas is known by the chemical name of, of methane And methane Mm -hmm. is 80 times more potent than carbon dioxide when it comes to the global warming effects. And so um, it's really a huge problem from a climate perspective um, when you account for all the leaks and uh, then the the impacts of actually burning it. um, And we're burning inside our homes and businesses. So that's indoor combustion. And that creates all the pollution that goes alongside the, the CO2 emissions. And so, natural gas or methane, however you want to call it, um, really creates a lot of pollution and has some pretty devastating climate impacts.
0: Okay, so then with that, what becomes the alternative for natural gas if um, if you could yeah? Down so a fortunately,
1: bit. there are a lot of alternatives, and our electrical grid has been cleaning up so quickly that here in Silicon Valley, we're served by. Carbon with carbon-free electricity or nearly carbon-free from the different community choice energy providers that have sprung up in recent years, whether you're served by San Jose Clean Energy, Silicon Valley Clean Energy, or Peninsula Clean Energy, they're all striving to deliver clean, renewable, and carbon-free power. And Silicon Valley Clean Energy, when they launched in 2017, their power that they were distributing to every home and business throughout uh, the 12 cities in Santa Clara County that joined was 100% carbon free. And the neighboring energy providers are sort of striving towards that goal and working towards it. And we think that locally, the power that we're all using will be 100% carbon free in the next two years. Can and you explain so that? that? Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: Like, where where is that? Where is the? Is it all from renewable energy? Where is the energy coming from?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So as we try to electrify our transportation and our buildings and replace fossil fuels, it's really important to know that that electricity is not coming from fossil fuel power plants. Otherwise, that would just be a shell game, right? Mm-hmm. But, um, and in the past, a lot of our power plants were driven by coal or oil or gas. Those are all fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. But California is moving towards decarbonizing the entire power grid by 2045. And that means more solar, more wind, more micro hydro, um, other water resources. Those are all renewables. We also have a lot of large dams. The large dams are not renewable, but they are carbon free. And then California has a little bit of nuclear power, which is carbon-free, but maybe not great for other reasons, and uh, has a waste issue and a safety issue along fault lines and with earthquakes. Um, And so nuclear is really being phased out in California. But at this point, it's so much cheaper to build a wind farm or a solar installation than to do a new natural gas power plant. And then the cost of the power is almost free, but for maintenance, um, there's really no fuel cost going in as as those, um, you know, investments continue to provide renewable power. And so the beauty of Community Choice Energy is that those locally controlled agencies are investing in new solar, new wind, new um, hydro, small hydro, not large dams. Um, They're investing in a lot of new renewable resources to power our local communities.
0: Wow. And is that happening just, so we're in the Bay Area, uh, the San Francisco Bay Area, and then what about the rest of California? Is this a local initiative here just that you're referring to, or is it also happening in down in LA and San Diego? Yeah,
1: it's happening throughout the state. We're really fortunate that the the Community Choice Energy really started in the Bay Area. It started in Marin County. And now I think every county in the Bay Area is now served by Community Choice Energy and striving to beat the state standards on clean energy. Um, But at this point, it has moved down south. Uh, San Diego has embraced it, Los Angeles County. Um, I think there are about 20 different community choice energy agencies throughout California, and they're spreading into the Central Valley and other sort of maybe less progressive parts of the state as people realize that it's not just cleaner power that these agencies are bringing, but Uh, it's cheaper rates. And so people save money. Um, One example is that in San Mateo County, Peninsula Clean Energy saved the county around 17 to $20 million each year in reduced um, electricity charges. So those savings are real.
0: Wow, that's amazing. I actually didn't know that it it has gotten that much cheaper.
1: Yeah, it's amazing when you don't have shareholders to pay out to. And um, so it allows lower rates for cleaner power, and then it allows those agencies to reinvest any surplus into the community. They can invest in resilience, support electric vehicles and charging, and they're also supporting this wonderful new campaign that we have um, called Reach Codes. They're supporting cities that adopt new building codes that either favor all electric buildings, Um, or require all electric buildings. And that's in place of using gas and other fossil fuels. And so it really comes full circle where groups like ours promote uh, policies to cities that avoid natural gas and fossil fuels. But then the locally controlled clean energy agencies come in and support that. And they have a really great consulting team on board to provide technical support and legal support. Um, And they also have Um, The engagement of every city in the region on the board of these locally controlled clean energy agencies, and that's really helped it spread. And so in the course of the past six months, we've seen 12 local cities adopt these policies. Eleven cities have done reach codes that favor all electric new homes and buildings. And one city outright banned the use of natural gas in new construction. So it's really tremendous progress. And we see uh, at least a dozen other cities kind of queued up and ready to go in January.
0: Great. And so could you explain a little bit about home electrification? I talked to a few people about this. And uh, I know this is what's happening in our you know, local community. But I don't know if people quite understand it, um, to yeah. be honest. Yeah.
1: Yeah, electrification gets pretty wonky and we use even wonkier terms like decarbonization and heat pump technology, but essentially um, you're using the same technology that your refrigerator uses. It is a heat pump or a compressor and that equipment can run in reverse. It can either heat your home or it can cool your home. And so a lot of um, architecture firms are moving their projects to be all electric because they save money and they avoid the gas connections that have all the safety and health risks. And so this is a movement that we've seen started um, in California before these requirements were established that a lot of architects and designers felt like, wow, the electric technology is performing much better, it's more efficient, the price has come down. Um, And so we've seen dozens of projects, including affordable housing projects, start going all electric in their building. And that means replacing The conventional gas boilers for hot water, conventional gas heaters, cooktops um, that are gas, and also dryers. There are a bunch of appliances that you might not notice use gas, but it's really an unnecessary fossil fuel use because the electric alternatives are just as good and don't cost more money. And so most people aren't going to notice that their hot water heater, furnace, or dryer whether it's running on gas or electric, they just want the performance. Mm -hmm. And so we are seeing this movement. Um, We've actually seen a movement in the southeast of the US in Florida and areas that are using a lot of air conditioning. Um, The nice thing about electrification is that the same device that provides cool air in the summer can also provide heat. So you're replacing two pretty expensive appliances with just one. So we're seeing things like this outside of California. They might not be doing it for um, environmental reasons. They're doing it for cost savings. Mm -hmm. But what it tells us is that the market to electrify homes and buildings is actually pretty mature. Other countries like Japan and in Europe, um, they've been using these electric heating and, and cooling products for decades And the issue in the U.S. is just that a lot of these products weren't really certified for sale here. And so it's been slow to happen. And especially in areas like California, where our gas rates are so cheap, um, building electrification has been slow. And the thing that's changed in the last few years that allows you to get rid of your gas furnace and not spend more money for an electric heater is that, The uh, the new electric furnaces are super efficient. They're about five times more efficient than the best um, gas equivalent on the market, and so that really reduces the cost for homeowners. Oh,
0: interesting. Okay, so I didn't know that. Um, And then, so then also the so if you're not having a, a natural gas. Stove or fireplace, then what are you using instead? Is it electric or is it induction?
1: Yeah. Wow. A lot of people are really tied to natural gas cooking. It's almost emotional for them. Maybe they learned to cook with gas from their grandmother and they just love it because they can see the flame and relate their cooking to that. And so the switch to electric cooking, you know, there is a learning curve there. Um, but I do want to note that, you know, a lot of us remember the coil electric stoves that were popular in a lot of apartments, like maybe back in the seventies or, uh, before then. And they were not great. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <loved> <laughs> no yeah. one loves those old electric coil stoves. They did not cook well, but Yeah, the new stoves that people are using and a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, celebrity chefs are moving to like Wolfgang Puck, for example, has his own line of induction electric um, cooking appliances. And you know we use fancy terms like induction, but basically mm-hmm. it's electric. it uses magnets. and the second you take a pot off the burner of one of those electric stoves, it's cool to the touch. And so it's a lot nicer for cooks to work with because of fewer burns and um, you don't need these giant ventilation hoods over your cooking because the you know the only gases you need to vent is you know from what you're cooking. But the induction cooktops are really getting more popular, and one of our um, partner groups called Actera actually has a loaner program where they will loan you an induction cooktop burner to try out in your kitchen. You just plug it into any outlet, and you're good to go. And that way, people can learn, you know, and see if it works for their particular style of cooking. But what we have heard from people who have tried it is that they love it, and People who make the switch to induction say, I'm never going back to natural gas. This is so responsive. It's so cool. Um, And so we're seeing this take off on its own and that's really exciting. And and then you asked about fireplaces and Mm -hmm. um, fireplaces are a little trickier to electrify. Um, They create an optical illusion of a flame and they use um, a special mist to do that. And if you stayed in a kind of low um uh, a cheap hotel and seeing some of those wall electric fireplace units that they don't always look good. But uh-huh. the newer units and kind of uh, more tre- trendier styles and upscale styles are a lot nicer and can really create an illusion that looks exactly like a gas flame or a traditional more traditional fire. Um, We have worked with some consultants and experts around the state that build all electric buildings and they put together a catalog for us of all of these products and images and photos of the products and and specs so that people can get a little more information and see like, oh, wow, there are 20 choices of electric fireplaces and they range from, from cheap to high end.
0: Got it. Okay. And then do they
1: get as hot as the natural fireplaces or
0: do they, are they more of the, you know, decorate, a little bit more decorative?
1: Yeah. So most of them are purely decorative and cool to the touch. And some of them can have that radiative effect of warmth. And it just depends on the product that you pick.
0: Got it. Okay, interesting. All right. So then basically, just to clarify, then, because I did a lot of research uh, after you and I started initiating this conversation about induction cooking, and I did learn about a lot about it, and it did seem like that's the next generation of electric. Is that sort of a correct assessment of it? It's electric. Yeah, it's the next it is. generation.
1: Now, induction cooktops are kind of high-end, so they might be pricier mm-hmm. than some gas, kind of more standard alternatives. There is a low-end electric cooktop um, option for people, just a flat glass top. And when we talk to affordable housing developers, for example, they've been using these glass um, flat top electric cooking surfaces. That's sort of the new standard for them because it's safer and they're not gonna spring for the fancy induction cooktops. And so it's not the old electric coil stove. It's, you know, they look very sleek and they're pretty well functional and they save a lot of money. Um, And so that's sort of a more moderately priced option to the induction cooktops.
0: Great. Okay. And so then we have, uh, I have two other questions. One, which is the health effects that you were talking about, you know, with natural gas and then also the cost of it. So if you could maybe touch a little bit about, you know, I, I think that you sent me something where it says that it saves money in the long run for these newer home developments to not have to have the gas connection. Can you explain yeah. that a little bit?
1: Yes. So building all electric saves a lot of money. You know, on one hand, you don't have to install any gas lines. You don't need a gas meter. You don't need carbon monoxide sensors. You don't need big ventilation hoods for the exhaust fumes. Um, that can save around ten dollars to $20,000 just avoiding the the gas piping and everything that comes with it and the connection. Wow. Um And then some of the electric products are gonna save money over time relative to the the gas alternative just because they're so much more efficient to operate. But in terms of like new construction costs, you're looking at 10 to $20,000 in savings when you go electric for new single family homes. And then if you look at like apartments or condos, the average savings going electric over gas is um, around $3,300 per unit. So pretty substantial, and especially in a state where we do have a housing crisis and a housing shortage. And so every extra $1,000 that we can shave off of the cost of new housing opens up access to many more lower income people who need it.
0: Got it. Okay. And then can you also explain a little bit about the, um, uh, the health effects of having natural gas? inside the house. Yeah.
1: So this was a shocker to me. I've worked on a lot of fossil fuel projects trying to reduce coal use and diesel and, um, you know, transition from diesel to something cleaner. And when I started my career, natural gas was called an alternative fuel to diesel fuel. And so early on, we were campaigning for uh, San Francisco muni buses to go from diesel to natural gas, for example. And uh, now I'm kind of cringing at that oh. <laughs> <laughs> because natural gas actually carries a lot of health impacts as you burn it and as it's leaking. Um, and the most profound impacts are actually cooking with it hmm. because you're breathing, you're kind of inhaling the fumes, you're in you know, really close proximity. And it came out recently that the um, nitrogen dioxide levels, which is regulated federally as, as a... a a pollutant of concern, those levels can be a lot higher in your kitchen after cooking a full meal on a gas stove than you would find outside uh, in any given large city. And those levels can be high enough that if they were found outside that they would trigger, uh, um, they would exceed the the clean air standards and trigger action at the local and the federal level to clean up that pollution. And that's what we're breathing in our kitchens And then there are all these other toxic gases like formaldehyde that come out when you're cooking with gas and those gases sink low to the ground. And so that's really a risk for kids or pets who are kind of might be um, playing lower to the ground and exposed to that pollution. So I was kind of blown away by the health impacts of cooking with gas. And then we found some studies like meta-analysis studies. So those are broad-based studies looking at many studies that showed really um, direct health links and health implications from cooking with gas long-term. That people who use inhalers for asthma are using three times the as- asthma medication if they cook on a gas stove. And for healthy people, they were finding elevated risk of um, respiratory impacts like asthma um, and also cardiac impacts. So it impacts your heart health as well. Um, that's not for someone who's just cooking once or twice. It's for people who are cooking all the time. That repeat exposure is really damaging to their health the same way that uh, your health would suffer from a smoking habit or from living in an extremely smoggy city.
0: Wow. Well, I mean, I feel like I cook three meals a day, so that, you know, I, I guess that affects a lot of different people. It's not just, uh, Yeah. Hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So one thing that you can do to lessen your impact, if you do have gas, it's really important to not internalize the guilt over this. The fossil fuel <laughs> fuel problem is not your fault. That's yeah. like an industrial polluter thing, but to lessen your own health impacts to make sure that you're using ventilation when you're cooking with gas and that when you are replacing your cooktop to strongly consider a zero emission alternative, like going electric.
0: Awesome. That's great. And I'll, I'll include, so when I do the corresponding article to this, then I will include some information about induction cooking and, um, just in particular, because that one seems like, it seems like people know about electric. We're familiar with the electric stoves of the past, but these are kind of the ones that are of the future.
1: Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, the new ones are super nice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that was the
0: things. It was uh, one of the things that I was reading about was that it says that a lot, like you said, Wolfgang Puck and uh, Thomas Keller of French Laundry that they use. These are the, you know, these are the kinds of stoves that they are using or um, so good stuff there. Uh, all right. So then the other, the last part of it is if we're electrifying homes, then what a uh, Okay. So then on a local level too, if there are homes, uh, I know that you said that there are cities where now new homes will will be completely electric, right? Um, yeah. so, the, and then, so there seems to be some regulations around those areas. So does that mean that if somebody wants to have, for example, an outdoor fire, like an outdoor fireplace, is that going to be regulated as well where no outdoor natural gas or um, what kinds of you know i'm thinking about fires and things like that can people yeah, have
1: yeah so that is a little bit of a gray area um okay. you know a lot of local government uh, officials they are really wary of regulating people's lifestyle yeah and they are trying to take a more practical approach to say okay we know we need to transition off of fossil fuels we want to do it as quickly as possible to preserve uh, a safe and stable climate but a lot of local officials were really reluctant to regulate people's fireplaces or outdoor Uh uses. Um, And it's interesting. Um, Some cities have debated it and decided, you know what, every fossil fuel use is a problem and we want to stop every fossil fuel use. And some cities have felt like just um, very reticent to, to overregulate people They don't want to create a backlash. They want to kind of go a little more slowly and capture the largest uses of gas, which are home heating and water heating. Those two uses alone account for about 85% or more of gas use. Um, Really? Yeah. And so, you know, from an environmental standpoint, ideally we can just stop connecting to gas lines because even if you're just using a little gas for a backyard fire pit, that gas line is still leaking and polluting methane and that is a pretty serious climate problem. But we know that we're culturally in a little bit of a transition. And so um, we're trying to work with cities where they're at and really encourage them to go as far as they can and as far as the local, um, lo- local residents and, and community leaders um, can tolerate. And then I think what we'll have to do as a state is grapple with a gas ban statewide. But for now, as we're in a transition, we've tended to focus a little bit more on um, trying to educate people. Let's try not to bring in new gas lines, let's cap the gas lines, cap the problem. Um, But where people are really tied uh, to the fire pit or the cooking, uh, we're we're just not gonna go to battle over those smaller uses. And so with the cities that have adopted the codes, Very few of the codes cover the outdoor uses. And that is in large part actually a function of the state energy code, not really dictating things um, on the exterior of a home or building. Um, But then in Cupertino on Tuesday, they adopted a policy um, and deliberately added outdoor uses. So that would be like pool heaters, spas, fire pits, outdoor cooking. And they decided that they wanted to eliminate all of the fossil fuel uses and prevent them in new construction. And so they actively included that in the policy that they passed. So that was kind of exciting to see a thoughtful discussion among Cupertino City Council. Interesting. Can you also talk a little bit about Los Gatos by chance? Uh, Los Gatos did uh, kind of, they took a little bit of time to warm to the issue. It looked like the city was not going to move on uh, reach codes or any policy trying to avoid gas use, and I'm not—I'm honestly not sure what changed, but the city did very recently adopt a code uh, to avoid gas use in new construction. So that was great. Yeah, so they are one of the 12 cities in the area.
0: Got it. Okay, so then they do have, so for new construction, then... Yeah, it's
1: really targeted at new construction. And then in the coming year, I think a lot of cities will be looking at, you know, what do we do with Teardown Rebuilds? What do we do with really large remodel projects? And Palo Alto is actively investigating this. And we'll be working with Palo Alto and other cities that are interested and then trying to take the solutions they come up with to other cities to get at those big remodels because there are so many of them. There's not a lot of new home construction going on in this area.
0: I was just wondering if you could explain a little bit about the difference between an electric homes and the net zero homes, because I think net zero seems to be like kind more of a buzzword than uh, home electrification. And
1: Yeah, net zero is really exciting because it's a new way of looking at home energy use. And starting in January, Um, all new homes in California will have to be net zero energy. And that just means that they're providing enough, uh, they're generating enough solar or other power on site to power their electrical needs. But there's a little bit of a loophole with net zero energy and different people define it different ways. But for the most part, net zero energy in California means that you can use gas. And that's kind of a vestige of the past when gas was considered very clean and efficient. That was before fracking was a thing, and that was before uh, electric heating and, and appliances became uh, more efficient and more popular. And so you know the cities adopting reach codes and policies to avoid gas, they are advancing net zero energy to be net zero carbon. And a lot of the groups that were promoting net zero energy have really changed their lingo. They've essentially crossed out energy and put carbon in there. The point is that we want our homes and buildings to stop emitting carbon and stop burning fossil fuels. And net zero energy just didn't achieve that. And so net zero carbon is really just the next step on the continuum of cleaner, more efficient homes.
0: Awesome. Okay, and so then I know that you may need to wrap up because we're almost out of time here. But final question, I guess, then um, regarding the net zero homes in California is, can you explain? There's um, there is something that there is something that's passed regarding having solar um, solar panels on roofs in California. Is that something that's related to any of the work that you're doing?
1: Yeah, yeah, and that relates to the net zero energy standards that the Energy Commission adopted in this latest uh, building code cycle. Um, so every 3 years the state upgrades the energy standards for new homes and buildings and there's a new code that's that's phasing in in January and it will require net zero energy for new homes and that does include a solar requirement. Now sure. there are ways to get around it if you have heavy shading on site or some reason that solar doesn't work on on uh, a given project. Um, there are other workarounds for that um, and I want to Uh, make a side note here that we would never promote solar in place of trees, and we would never promote chopping down trees to make way for solar. That doesn't make Mm -hmm. sense, especially because our grid power is now so clean. Um, But the default now will be to include solar for all new homes. And um, that has been extended to new commercial and new multifamily buildings by many of the local codes. So the same codes that are trying to advance all electric homes and buildings. Many of those did um, uh, include new requirements for solar on multifamily and commercial, and that is very city specific. And so um, some cities require it for commercial, but not multifamily. Some cities require it across the board. Um, The requirements look different in every city, Um, but we think because so many cities have acted, I think at least twenty, twenty-two or 23, statewide have these so-called reach codes that include more solar. Uh, we think that the state will go ahead and make a solar requirement across the board pretty soon, maybe three years from now in the next code cycle. But for now, it'll apply to new homes.
0: Great. Well, that's great. I mean, can you, just to wrap it up, I mean, do you have anything that, I know that you've been working on these things for a long time. Does it feel like things are getting better? It sounds like you're optimistic with with things, but how's how are things in California just in general? Yeah,
1: yeah. Wow. Well, we had some dark moments with recent reports coming out about the climate crisis being actually worse than we thought. And, yeah. in, you know, in 2018, the IPCC released their seminal report saying, gosh, we have about 10, 12 years to get our act together and we're really in trouble. This is not looking good. And then the latest reports this past fall said, okay, well, it's worse than we thought. Again, so uh, we are in a climate crisis, and we do need to advance every measure that we can to get off of fossil fuels. Moving off of fossil fuels is really the biggest thing that we can do to address the climate crisis. Um, and so, and and you know, maybe we could spend another podcast getting into the other things like diet and flying a little less and mobility solutions, but generally everything that you can do in your life to get rid of fossil fuels leads to a cleaner and healthier lifestyle and also helps out for a a stable climate in the future. I am really heartened by all of the action that I've seen locally here in California, That 22 or 23 cities and counties have moved forward with these new actions to, to prevent fossil fuels in new buildings. And with the growth of Community Choice Energy, providing super clean power and investing that locally and supporting local resilience measures, um, what we hope is that these cities can be the model for other cities outside of California. And we've seen the carbon-free building policies or gas-free building policies spread to Massachusetts recently. Um, The city of Brookline, um, I think it's a Boston suburb, recently adopted a gas ban. And a couple of cities are in line behind it to do the same in Massachusetts. And we know some Colorado cities are looking at it as well as Seattle, Washington. And so we're hoping that we can create the case study that going fossil free and adopting clean energy strategies can actually save you money and create um, you know, safer and cleaner and more resilient cities and improve people's quality of life And it's not, you know, it's not really the sacrifice that some people think it is for climate. It can actually save you money and improve your life. So hopefully other cities will follow suit. (laughs) Yes.
0: And thank you. I feel like this is the thing that I, I think that having, hearing what you say is really important for people. Cause I think that there's a lot of people that still are wondering, well, or what are you taking away from me? You know, are you taking away my stoves and what, you know, is this going to be worse? Am I going to have a worse, you know, cooking experience, for example, uh, because of this gas ban. And, you know, I think that hearing what you're saying, it sounds like, it's actually better and things are really improving and all of the things that I started reading about based off of, you know, our, our initial conversations, it seems like there's a lot of really good alternatives that are actually better, you know, kind of, uh, that better in all respects for our health, for our pocketbooks and even just better in terms of usage.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot to celebrate here. And but we really need to stay on top of it and really, you know, write our council members and our mayors, let them know that we care about climate and we want them to act. And when they do, it's really important to thank them for taking the action and continue to write your elected officials and vote and, you know, hold our government elected leaders accountable.
0: Awesome. Is that, is that the number one thing that you think that people should be doing?
1: I do. I do. Especially as we're staring 2020 in the face. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, exactly. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I agree. Vote for climate. All right. (laughs) Vote for climate. Very good. Vote for climate. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I learned a lot. Thank you. This has been fun. Thanks for listening. To stay in the loop on the latest clean and circular economy products and innovation, sign up for the newsletter on earthybee.com.